I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Just hours before his crucifixion, Jesus pulled his disciples together and he shared with them a powerful illustration. It's an illustration that for the last five weekends, we have been as a church family walking through and unpacking some powerful, life-changing truth out of this illustration. And you can't forget the context. Jesus is on the eve of his death. This is a critical moment in his life and in his ministry and in his mission. And Jesus gives his disciples this illustration at this moment so that they will never, ever forget it. Really, it summarized the entire chapter of John 15, those first eight verses in particular. But there's one verse that I gave you to memorize that really summarizes all of the content of John 15. And it's John 15 and verse 5. I want to put it up on the screen. I'm going to give you a cheat sheet just in case you're not there yet, right? And we're going to read it out loud together. You ready? One, two, three. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I hope as we've walked through this together that it has been life-changing for you. I've heard from so many of you through different mediums about how God is using this series to impact your life, using this scripture to impact your life. And as we walk through John 15, we've asked and answered some really big questions. First of all, we answered the question, what is fruit in the life of a believer? If you understand John 15, the whole premise is that you and I would bear fruit. So it's very important as disciples, we understand what that is. I gave you a definition week one of what fruit is. That's really what the entire first week of the series was, was defining this issue of fruit. And I want to give it to you again today. Here it is. Fruit is the life of Jesus in me being lived through me. Say that out loud. The life of Jesus in me being lived through me. Now, I know that you've heard that, right? I mean, this is the sixth weekend that I've made you say it. I know that you've heard it, but here's my question. Have you heard it? Jesus often in the New Testament prayed, give them ears to hear. He didn't pray give them ears. They had ears. He said give them ears to hear. I know you've heard us over and over and over again say, Fruit is the life of Jesus in me being lived through me. We've said that fruit is the life of whatever's in the vine being pressed out in the branches. We said if it's an apple tree, what's coming out? Apples. Orange tree, what's coming out? Oranges. Why? Because it's the life of the vine being pressed out in the branches. I know you've heard that, but have you heard that? 
Are you still trying to live the Christian life in your strength? Do you think that Jesus saved you and now says, okay, you go be faithful? Or do you understand that Jesus didn't save you so that you could now go and live for him, but Jesus saved you so that he could live his life through you? There is glorious freedom and understanding the power of the gospel that his death is my death, but his life is now my life. Have you heard that? Then we ask a second question. What's my role in that? What's my role in bearing fruit? And we noted that over and over again in this passage of Scripture, although Jesus says bear fruit, he never commands us to bear fruit. There's only one command in John 15. And that command is to what? Abide. Some translations say remain. Some say continue. But it's the principle of abiding. Our role is not to focus on bearing fruit. Our role is to abide in him. Remember we talked about you've never been out in a apple orchard and seen an apple tree out there working hard to get those apples to come out, right? No. What does the, app, what, what does the branch have to do? The branch just has to hang on to the vine, right? And as long as that branch hangs on to the vine, guess what happens? Fruit. Here's what we said abiding is. I want to put it back up on the screen. Read it with me. To abide is to live in fellowship with Jesus every moment of every day. It's to live in fellowship with Jesus. And we gave you a lot of practical handles. If you weren't here in the series, you can go online. We've got it all packaged there for you. It's free. We've got great resources to add value to what we've been talking about. But we gave you some very practical applications of how you and I live in fellowship with Jesus every moment of every day. Because that sounds real good and spiritual. But if you don't understand how to practically live that out, you can still live with a lot of frustration and failure. So go back and watch those principles about how we live in fellowship with Jesus every moment of every day. Then we ask and answer the third big question. What's the Father's role? Father's the vine dresser. And we said this, as you and I abide in Him, allowing Christ to bear fruit in us, there may be seasons where we drift, but the Father is always at work Lifting us by his grace, putting us back in a position of fruitfulness, and he's always removing those things that are hindrances and obstacles to our abiding and bearing fruit. That's the Father's role. We called it his process of pruning or discipline, but it's God's definite yet gracious process of conforming us to the image of Christ. God the Father is always at work using every situation and every circumstance to conform us to the image of Jesus. So those are the first three big questions that we unpacked. Then last weekend, we began to unpack the last question, question number four, and and here was the last big question. What does fruit look like in the life of a believer? As you and I begin to abide in him, as we begin to live our lives out of the overflow of fellowship with Jesus, What does that look like practically in my life as his life in me begins to be lived through me? And last weekend, we unpacked in verses 9 and 10 of John 15 the first of these practical applications. And it was simply this in a sentence. Intimacy that produces obedience. When you and I are living in fellowship with Jesus, and he's living his life through us, here's what it looks like. A life of intimacy that produces obedience. 
Jesus modeled for us in his humanity intimacy with the Father. He even said, when you hear my words, it's not my words, it's the Father's words in me. He said, when you see my works, it's not my works, it's the Father's works in me. It's not that Jesus wasn't 100% God. He was. But he chose to lay aside, according to Paul in Philippians, lay aside the privileges of being God, and he lived as a human being in dependence on the Father. And everything that Christ did, he did out of the overflow of intimacy with the Father. Every act of obedience was the Father's work in him, fulfilling the great mission of redemption through the Son. You and I, as we begin to live out of the overflow of intimacy with the Father, guess what it looks like? Intimacy that produces obedience. It's the exact same life. It's the life that Jesus lived then, lived now by Him in and through us. But this weekend, we come to the second of these practical outworkings of what it looks like to live in fellowship with Jesus every moment of every day. When we're bearing fruit, in John 15, verse 11, if you have your Bible... Open to John 15. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put verse 11 up on the screen. There's, we're just going to look at one verse today. John 15, verse 11. Look what he says. These things I have spoken to you. Now, it's important that you note this. That phrase, these things, is everything he said in John 15, 1 through 10. It's, it's this illustration that he's given about abiding in him. And as we abide in him, fruit is born in our lives. Jesus said, I have said this to you so that. Now, so that, again, is important. Anytime you see those two little words, so that, in the New Testament, you need to underline them. It's like a flashing light in the Greek language. In the Greek language, it's the word hina, and here's what it means. Here's why, or for this purpose. Jesus said, I have said all of this to you. I have given you this illustration of abiding in me. I've talked to you about what it looks like for my life to be fleshed out in you. And he said, here's why I've told you this. So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. You know what he says there? Here's the second practical outworking of this life of abiding in him. Fullness of joy. One of the defining marks of the life of a Jesus follower who is living out of the overflow of an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ is joy. Now what I want to do is ask and answer some questions about this principle of joy out of this verse and we'll be done today. Here's the first question. What is joy? I mean, <clears throat> we need to understand that if we're going to talk about joy. We need to all be thinking about the same thing because often when you hear the word joy, what people think about is happiness, right? Happiness. Now, happiness is not a bad thing, right? 
Happiness is a good thing. But happiness and joy are not the same thing. I'm going to say that again because I want you to hear me. Because you're going to leave here today and some of you are going to have happiness and joy confused. And you're going to think, man, I'm not, I'm not getting it. Listen, happiness and joy are not the same thing. Let me show you what I mean. The word happiness is a word that really was that began to be used about the late 14th century. It's a word that uh, was originally born, I think, in Latin. And, and the word meant lucky or favored by fortune or prosperous. And it was the idea of somebody's response when something unexpected or, or it may be even expected, but it was a good thing. It was a favorable thing. It was a thing that, that, that they, they counted as a blessing. It was, it was somebody's favorable response to some good fortune in their life. When something good happens to you, our response is, I'm what? I'm happy, right? I mean, how many of us like good stuff to happen to us, right? If you don't, listen, you need to go see a counselor, all right? If you're one of those people that's just out looking for bad stuff, you need some help, right? I mean, we all like good stuff to happen. And when good, listen, when your team wins, you're what? Happy. When your team loses, you're sad, right? Why? Because happiness is our response to good fortune. So, so let me give you a statement defining happiness. Here it is. Happiness is a feeling that changes based on what happens around me. That's true, right? Happiness is a feeling that changes based on what happens around me. Let me give you a statement about what joy is. Joy is a reality that is unchanging based on the presence of Jesus within me. Leave that up there for a second. Happiness is a feeling that changes based on what happens around me. My happiness is rooted in my circumstances. If, if what's happening around me is not good, guess what? I'm not happy. But joy transcends my circumstances. It means that joy is not dependent upon my circumstances. Joy is not dependent on what's happening around me. This means that you and I as believers can have joy no matter what happens around us. No matter what's going on in our circumstances. No matter what's going on in our health. No matter what's going on in our job. No matter what's going on in our marriage. No matter what's going on in our relationships. No matter what's going on with our kids. No matter what's happening in the economy. No matter what's happening in the White House, no matter what Fox News or CNN or MSNBC said, it doesn't matter. You and I can have joy because joy is not based on what's happening around me. Joy is based on the presence of Jesus within me. And no matter what happens around me, he's still within me. I've been to Africa I don't even know how many times over the last 15 years now, at least once a year, sometimes twice, three times. 
Every year when I've gone to this one particular conference in Southern Africa called a REAP conference where we would train <coughs> five, six, seven hundred leaders from 15 or 20 nations in Southern Africa. Every year, going all the way back to when I started back in 1999, they would send a delegation down from Zimbabwe. I don't know how much you know about Zimbabwe, but Zimbabwe used to be the, what they called the breadbasket of Africa. Zimbabwe was one of the most prosperous, flourishing nations in all of Southern Africa. Many of the nations in that region of the world were fed by the farms that produced grain in Zimbabwe. Over the last 20, 30 years, a dictator has taken over Zimbabwe and he has ravaged that nation. To the point that Zimbabwe now is one of the poorest nations on the continent of Africa. Men and women are working 30 and 40 days just to earn a single loaf of bread. They no longer use the Zim dollar. They now use American dollars in Zimbabwe because the exchange rate became so astronomical. One U.S. dollar was worth millions and millions of Zim dollars. Every year, about 50 people, 60 people from Zimbabwe travel down for several days <clears throat> by foot, by bus, by caravan to get to this conference that we host there in Southern Africa. And on the opening night every year, the 50 Zimbabweans who are living in abject poverty. Poverty like you and I. There's nobody in America living in the poverty. that Our poorest people would be considered wealthy compared to the poverty of these Zimbabweans. Many of these pastors that we're training are burying more people than they're baptizing. The conference begins with these 50 Zimbabweans. They dance and sing their way up to the front. And with this joy, those of you that have seen it, with this joy, Teddy, you saw it, with this joy, they sing, it is well with my soul. And the whole conference is just filled. As you watch these people who are broken physically and they're broken financially, there is this incredible joy. Where does that come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. Hanging on to the vine. Because my joy is not rooted in my circumstances around me. My joy is rooted on the presence of someone within me. And his name is Jesus. That's why Paul said this. Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, said it this way. Rejoice in the Lord. Say the next word out loud. That's an important word. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Always. The word always there means at all times. Paul said, just in case you didn't get it, I'll say it again. I will say <laughs> rejoice. I wish some of you knew all the stories that I know. We're singing that song. Sean was leading us a minute ago. We're singing that song. And I'm telling you, I just watched some of you worship. 
there's some people in this room. I'm telling you, if you knew, if you knew, you wouldn't have been, you'd have been running around this building. If you, I couldn't hardly stand there. I didn't think I was going to be able to wait to get up here and preach. I almost had a spell right there while we were singing that song. Because there are some people sitting in this room today who from a human standpoint are walking through incredible darkness. They are walking through a valley. But I want you to know something. They have joy. Let me tell you why they have joy. Because joy is not rooted in what happens around me. Joy is found in someone who lives in me. (laughs) Hey. Hey. Hey, listen, listen. Let's just hang on right there, all right? Let's just hang on for a minute. We may not get through the whole sermon. You may have to come back to the next service to get the rest of it, all right? Let's just stop right here for a minute, all right? Miss Cheryl just said that. Miss Cheryl Blackwell just said that. Listen to me. Hang on. Hang on now. Some of you don't know. She's been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Barring a bone marrow transplant or a miracle of God, she's going to get to heaven a whole lot quicker than the rest of us in the room. But I'm going to tell you something. She's got joy. She's got joy. Listen, Cheryl, we love you. You inspire us. You breathe life into us in ways you will never know. You are a blessing to us. Listen, what what you going through? This got you all sour-faced today, huh? Our joy does not rest in our circumstances. We can have joy no matter what's going on in our life. Let me, let me read you a quote by John MacArthur. Look what he said. Unfortunately, some think living the Christian life is a monastic deprivation, some kind of a bitter religious pill that they have to swallow. Actually, every bit of the Christian life is designed for our joy. Now, that little phrase, every bit, is important because that means the good and the bad stuff. It's all designed for our joy. Y'all right? Let's look at the second question. Let's move on. How do I experience joy? How do I experience joy? Well, he said, these things I've spoken to you so that you may have my joy in you. These things, I told you, refers to the first ten verses of this chapter. Everything he'd said previously. What did he say previously? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? But as you abide in me... I'll live my life through you. Now, this is important. Don't miss this. Look at John 15, 11 again. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. Listen, he didn't just say so that you could have some joy. You heard what he said, right? I've told you this so that my joy. What's fruit? The life of Jesus in me. He said, here's why I told you this. So that my joy. Not just some joy, not just good joy. Jesus said, I've told you this so that my joy, the life of Jesus, his joy, his very life, his joy may be in us. 
How does it happen? Out of abiding in him. As we hang on to the vine, no matter what's happening around us, you hang on right here, you get fullness of joy. And not just some joy, his joy. The very joy of Jesus, which he talked about in Hebrews chapter 12, when he said it was the joy that was set before him that enabled him to endure the cross, despising the shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the Father. Joy. So what I want to do for a minute is I want to get real, real, real practical. I just tried to think about some things in my life this week that are expressions of abiding in Him that bring me joy. Now, this is not going to be an exhaustive list, all right? I'm literally, right now, I'm going to talk to you from my personal experience of just walking with God myself and how I abide in Him and how that manifests itself in His joy in me. And before I do that, let me just say this. Some of the most miserable people I know are not lost people. You see, lost people don't know any better than what they got. You know who the most miserable people are? Saved people trying to live in their own strength and not in the resources of Christ. That's why church people be mean. Some of the meanest people I ever met I've been in church with. Don't look at me spiritual. You know who I'm talking about. Some of you have been to church with them, right? I mean, they can just be mean. They can be ir- you, They can just suck the life out of a room, right? Why? Because they're not living out of their resources in Christ. When we're living out of our resources in Christ, there's joy. Now, don't misunderstand me. That doesn't always look like happiness on the outside. Listen, you can be sad. You can be sad and you can have joy. Let me give you some practical expressions of this in my life. And I've tried to give it to you in a way you can remember it. So I've given you a little phrase, but then I'm going to give you a definition of the phrase. Here are some practical expressions of abiding in Christ that personally bring me joy. Here's the first one. The Word of God. And here's the way I define that. Fellowship with Jesus by reading and meditating on His Word. Fellowship with Jesus by reading and meditating on His Word. I find His joy in reading His Word. Listen to the way Jeremiah wrote it in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. Listen to what he said. Jeremiah said, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. The Word of God is a great source of joy to the child of God. In those moments when I get down, and listen, you only see me up here. I know you think I just live up here on a spiritual high. But just ask my wife. (laughs) I don't. In those moments when I get down like you get down, you know what brings me joy? 
Just open the Word of God. You know what I call it for me sometimes? I call it Psalm therapy. I'll just go to the book of Psalms and I'll just start reading. Say, when do you stop? When I got my joy back. (laughs) I just keep reading. God gave us His Word. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall not what? Live. That word live means enjoy life. Man can't live. You can't enjoy life by material things alone. He said, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word of God brings me joy. Let me give you a second one. The worship of God. Here's where I define that. Fellowship with Jesus by enjoying his presence privately and publicly. Man, when I'm struggling in the area of joy, I need to get in his word. I need God's word in my life. But let me tell you what else I need. I need worship. How do I abide? I abide by being in his word. I abide, I hang on to the vine, by worship privately and publicly. Let me show you the verse. Psalm 16, 11. Look at it on the screen. He said, you will make known to me the path of life in your, say it out loud, presence is what? Fullness of joy. And where? In his presence. In his presence. The word presence in Hebrew literally means, it literally means a face. It's meaning here being before his face or in his presence. In his presence there is fullness of joy. Then he said in your right hand there are pleasures forever. <coughs> privately, this looks like devotional intimacy with Jesus. That's what it looks like privately. Privately, it looks like being with Jesus in his word, in prayer, in meditation. We've talked about carving out those moments where we're abiding in him. That's what it looks like privately. But publicly, publicly, it looks like joining with other believers to worship through large groups and small groups. You know why we're here today? We're not here today for you to get some Bible information. If that's why you come to church to get more Bible information and to hear some people sing, you've missed the whole reason we come together. We came in here today to be with Him in fellowship with each other through the Word of God, prayer, and praise. That's why we're here. When we gather in small groups and homes throughout the week, over 180 groups meeting in over 30 zip codes in our city, when we gather in those groups, it's not just so we can meet each other's needs and pass out some more Bible information. We gather together to experience the presence of God with us as we live life together and join in fellowship with each other. That's why when people come and they start talking to me about, you know, I just my joy. First question I ask them, tell me about your time with Jesus. Tell me about your time in the Word. Tell me about your time with Him. You know, second question I ask them, are you connected in a group? Are you walking in life with some? Are you gathering with some other Christians to fellowship with Jesus together? Are you engaged in worship? Listen, here's why this is so critical. Those are not Bible study, reading the word, praying, going to small group, coming to church, are not the things you have to do to be a good Christian. 
They are the ways that we abide in Him. And as we abide in Him, He manifests His life through us. You see the difference? I don't have to do those things to make God happy. He's invited me into those things so that I can live. That ought to make somebody shout. Let me give you a third one. Work of God. Worship of God. The Word of God. Work of God. Look at it. This is fellowship with Jesus by allowing Him to accomplish His mission through my life. You know what that brings me? (laughs) It brings me joy. It brings me joy. To know that Christ is using me. Christ is working in me to impact the lives of other people. That brings me joy. Let me show it to you. I'll give you an example out of the scriptures. In in Acts chapter 13, the disciples had been preaching the gospel. And look what happened. When the Gentiles heard this, heard what? Heard the gospel the disciples had been preaching. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. And then down at the end of the chapter in verse 52, listen what it says. And the disciples were continually filled with joy. Why? Because God was accomplishing the mission through them. They knew they didn't deserve it. They knew they weren't making this happen. They knew it wasn't what they were doing. They knew it wasn't their... Man, if you did a survey of that group, they didn't have any gifts and abilities. They were the most untalented, unqualified group of people to lead a movement ever in the history of the world. And yet Jesus was moving through them so powerfully. They just sat back and said, I can't believe this. They had joy. Nothing fills my heart like that. Every person I've ever... How many of you have ever been cross-culturally on a mission trip? Let me see your hand. All right. A lot of you in here have been cross-culturally on a mission trip. Who gets more out of it? Them or you? Right. When you go, what will you come back? Just with what? Joy, right? It's just one word to say. It's just joy. That Christ would work through us to accomplish his mission. It's just joy, right? It's joy. Daryl Brewster is a man in our church. Daryl had a career as an HR executive, worked in different companies. Career as an HR executive. Now he's retired and he's devoting his time to serving our church and other churches like us to use what... He did for years and years and years as a career. Now he's using it for the sake of the kingdom. Listen to what he told me. He said, Vance, you'll never know the joy it brings me to see God using my job to accomplish his mission. Do you know God didn't give you your job just for your retirement? God gave you your job to accomplish his mission. And there's no greater joy you'll ever experience than allowing Christ in you out of the overflow of abiding in him to use your job, skill, and passion to accomplish his mission for his glory. You get to sit back and watch God work and say, wow! I'll show you another verse. 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. Say chapter 1. is only one chapter in 3 John. But for those of you that didn't know that, you do now. 3 John 1, 4. Here's what it says. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. 
John said, man, what joy it gives me to disciple others and see them get it. I've been in ministry now for almost, next year will be 25 years. In ministry, if all you do is look at the big picture, you live in constant discouragement. Because there's always something wrong, something broken, somebody mad, somebody offended, somebody hurt. Just follow me around here one weekend. Just follow me around. God's moving, the power of God's at work, people being saved, and somebody come up and say the awfulest thing you can imagine. I mean, boy, sure was cold in there today. The Spirit of God is at work. Who cares? Cold or hot, loud or soft, long or short. It don't matter if God shows up, right? Listen, if all you do is focus on the big picture in ministry, you get discouraged. You know what the joy is for me? For 25 years, I've been personally discipling some men. Every year of my life, <coughs> two, three, four men at a time. And to watch them now serve and use their gifts and lead their families and lead their businesses and lead their companies. and it's, John said, there's no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. There's joy in the work of God. Here, here's the last one. There's joy in the will of God. Joy in the will of God. That's fellowship with Jesus by submitting to his purpose in everything in my life. <coughs> James wrote it this way. James chapter 1 verse 2. He said, consider it what? All hang on, hang on. Consider it what? All, all joy. He didn't say consider the good stuff joy. Consider it all. It's interesting that this theme runs throughout the whole Bible, right? Paul wrote about it. Jesus spoke about it. James wrote about it. John wrote about it. Consider it all joy when you encounter various what? Trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And he goes on to say, and let endurance have its perfect result, making you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When those trials come, and listen, don't, don't mishear me today. Trials are going to come. This idea that we can have joy doesn't mean it's going to always be a bed of roses. Any preacher that tells you that is, is lying. It's just not the truth. There's going to be difficult, hard, challenging, trying, overwhelming days, weeks, months, and seasons. It's going to happen. Here's what James says. When it does... My first response isn't sorrow or pity or complaining. <clears throat> James says, consider it joy. <clears throat> the word consider here is a word that means to lead out or go before. And it, it, it metaphorically here means to lead out in the mind. Let this direct your thoughts. Don't let sorrow or pity or complaining be what governs your mindset. He says, consider it all joy. You say, preacher, how can I do that? I mean, it's tough. Well, James tells us, consider it all joy, knowing. Here's what James says. You can consider it joy because you know something. The word know here is a word that doesn't just imply some head knowledge. It's a word that implies relationship. It's a relational term. Here's what James says. You can consider it joy not just because you know something. You can consider it joy because you know someone. And that someone lives within you. And as you abide in him, 
even when it gets tough, even though you may not be happy, you can still have joy because you know him and you know he's in control. Let me ask one last question. We'll, we'll, We'll wrap up. Why do I sometimes not have joy? Because, let's be honest, sometimes we... Remember what we said early on that there are seasons that the believer can go through that there's no visible expression. One of those is joy. You can go through seasons where you don't have joy. Why don't I have joy sometimes? Well, he says here in our verse that your joy may be made full. He said, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Without getting too super technical, it's a passive subjunctive. It, it describes action that is potential, but it's potential action that I have to receive. Meaning, not every Christian's joy is going to be full. They have to receive that joy out of the overflow of abiding in Him. A.W. Pink had a powerful statement. Look what he said on the screen. When fellowship with the Lord Jesus is broken, joy disappears. So, let me close by giving you just a couple of ways that our fellowship with Jesus gets broken. And again, I'm going to give it to you in, in three words with some questions so you can hopefully remember these. Number one is devotion. And here's the question. Am I intentional about being alone with Jesus? It's that word of God and worship of God principle. Devotion. Devotion. I want to be real transparent. My heart and my mind can go to some really dark places when I'm not intentional about being alone with Jesus. It can get dark. It can get lonely. It can get cold. When you're not alone with Jesus. In His Word. In His presence. Devotion. You struggling with joy today? Let me ask you a question. Are you intentional about being much alone with Jesus. When fellowship with Jesus is broken, joy disappears. My joy, my joy rises and falls based on time alone with Him. Number two is the word distraction. Am I allowing something other than Jesus to dominate my attention? Remember what abiding is? Abiding is living life in fellowship with Jesus every moment of every day. Am I allowing something other than Jesus to dominate my attention, my affection? It's that idea of the will of God, our circumstances, situations, relationships, crisis, health, job. Are those distracting me? Am I consumed with him or I, am I consumed with other things? Trying to go plug him in in moments. 
Listen, your relationship with Jesus is not a band-aid to put on when you have an accident. And you'll never walk in joy if that's how you see it. Distraction. Here's the third one. Disobedience. Am I walking in disobedience to a clear command of Jesus? Listen to me. Nothing will steal your joy away faster than open disobedience to the will of God. You've heard the name David from the Bible. You know what the Bible says about David? David was a man after God's own heart. Now that ought to encourage every one of us today. You know why? Because David was a screw-up in a lot of ways. Here's what that means. You don't have to have it all together to be a man after God's own heart. That's another good place to shout. Amen. I'm glad. I'm glad. You don't have to have it all together to be a man after God's own heart. David didn't have it all together. But David was a man after God's own heart. Let me tell you what happened to David. David was anointed as king. And one day David sent his troops out to battle. And the Bible says of him, while the kings were out at battle, David was home. So he wasn't where he was supposed to be to start with. There's a lesson there. We don't have time to unpack it, but that's a whole lesson there. And he was standing on his rooftop, and he saw on top of the house down in the valley a woman that was there bathing. And David lusted after her in his heart. He wanted her for himself. He had his servants go and bring her to the king's palace, and there David committed adultery with this woman. And then she became pregnant. David was distraught over that. And so instead of getting right with God in that moment, restoring his fellowship, he tried to make things better himself. And he had her husband put on the front line of the battle so that he would be killed in battle. He had him executed so that he could then marry her and try to cover up his infidelity. There was a man of God in the land named Nathan. Nathan the prophet came to David and told him this little story about a shepherd and some sheep. And using that story, he confronted David with his sin. He said, David, you're not right with God. David wrote what we now have as the 51st Psalm. In response to the conviction of God, David cried out, And I want you to hear two lines that David cried out. First of all, in verse 8, he said, Make me to hear joy. Oh God, make me to hear joy again. This is the young man that Saul used to bring into his presence with a harp. To sing songs of joy. To lift the spirits of Saul. And now David says, oh God. My joy is gone. Let the bones which you have broken. 
rejoice again. Then he says this down in verse 12. Restore. Restore the joy of my salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. We don't have time to read it, but a 32nd Psalm, David wrote after the 51st Psalm. I don't know why they put them in the order they did, but the 32nd Psalm he wrote after the 51st Psalm. When you read that one, let me tell you what happened. David got his joy back. He got his joy back. I I, got to read you at least the opening line. You all right? Here's what he said. Psalm 32. Listen to the first line. How blessed. (laughs) How blessed is a man whose sin is forgiven. How blessed is a man whose sin is covered. David got his joy back. But listen to me. You're not going to get your joy back. To get honest with God about your sin. David didn't lose his salvation. He lost the joy of his salvation. When we're abiding in him, it looks like fullness of joy. 